Malachi 1, 1 through 5. In Oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his, I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. I think the, the big idea tonight is that the, the Lord has to be, he's got to be at least two things in your life. He's got to at least be the loving father, but he's also got to be the all-wise Lord of your life. He can't just be one or the other, because if he is just one or the other, if he's just like, if he's just like the loving father who you, you sing to, and he's just really like sweet, and he just like makes you feel good, um, or if he's just the one that you obey because you're, you're scared to not obey him, either one of those is actually going to, um, it's actually going to make your worship disgraceful and your life as well. And so that's really important that the big idea is that God is both loving father and all wise master. And if we only see him as one or the other, our worship will be disgraceful as well as our lives. And so what I'd like to do as we start out tonight, I'd actually like to start, this is going to be an expository sermon. We're going to go through these verses. We're really going to look at a bunch of, of chapter one. It's only a four chapter book. And, uh, and I kind of want to start in the middle of verse two is where I want to start tonight. But before we start, who has, has been a part of a series, a whole series on the book of Malachi? My hands are down too. We'll try this. All right, here we go. Um, Will, Will Carlisle said, let's go through Malachi. I think it was Will. He may have stepped out for a minute, but Will, I think it was Will that said, let's go through Malachi. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's go through Malachi. Um, and so, you know, I want to, before I die, I would like to say that I preach through every book of the Bible. There's a few things I'd like to say, but so we're just checking Malachi off now. And actually, um, it's a really incredible book, though I've never preached a series on it. It is a book that actually gets quoted in the New Testament a good bit, and there are parts of it um, that get quoted fairly frequently, but I think you're going to be amazed at how, how incredible this, how incredibly relevant this word is. It's the last word that was given for 400 years before Jesus comes. And, uh, and so that's part of the reason that in the Christian Bible, it is the last book of the New Testament because a lot of the other books are not chronological, but this is the last word that was given for 400 years before the Lord showed up. And so it's really important to, say, to, to see what did God say? What was he trying to do with these folks? So let's look at verse, uh, at verse two where he says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask how? And I wanna start with this idea of of how. Um, there's this picture that I keep in my, in, in my office. I just framed it recently. I put it in, in our office. And, uh, and it's, a, 
It's a great little, it's a great little pick. I think we've got it on the slide, maybe. One of the, do we have it? I think, yes, okay. I love this picture. If you come to my office, I'll probably show it to you, and I'll probably show it to you again in another sermon, because it's just such a sweet picture for me. But this is our friend Chris, and, uh, and he's at our house, and he's with, sitting with our two Boston Terriers, Gatsby the little one, Daisy the big one. Um, Daisy clearly loves Chris. Gatsby just cares about his bone. Um, he loves Chris too, but the, the reason I keep this picture is because this was in, uh, in late February of 2020 when we took this picture. And, uh, and we can just leave it up because Chris is such a great guy. We'll leave it up for a minute. Um, it was somewhere, it may have even been like right before I took this picture, Chris said to me as I was walking out the door to go to, to, go to church, he said, um, to go to work, it was like a Monday. He said, Tom, you've lost your pep. And I said, huh? And he said, Tom, you, you, he's Zimbabwean, like, and I'm trying his accent. Um, and so he's like, Tom, you don't have your pep anymore. You need to get your pep back. And I said, how do you know that, Chris? How, like, how can you even tell that? I'm acting totally normal. And he just kept on and on and, and showing all these like context clues to 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 what, what he said and how, why he believed that I had kind of lost some of my, some of my zeal in life. And, uh, and so I was just thinking the whole time as I left that day, I was thinking, how, how could he possibly know how, and he's right. How can he be right? I just kept thinking how, and I think how is such a strong, strong thing that we ask. We usually, the two big strong things that we ask are, are why and how. Those are the two biggest things we usually ask is like, well, how's that going to happen and why? Um, and so he's, the, so the Lord is like speaking out loud the words they have in their heart and they're, they're asking how, how have you loved us, God? And that's how this whole book starts. How have you loved us? And, uh, and by the way, Chris, Chris, Chris was absolutely right. I had lost my pep. I was still obedient to the Lord. I was preaching the gospel. I was working faithfully. But something was missing. And so in that something that was missing, uh, he knew, Thomas, you, you have, you've fallen away somehow and you need something. And by the way, I want you to know that you are the pep. Like, I told him about Christ's covenant in February of 2020 and how I was considering going on staff. And he said, go, go. And I said, it's a little tiny church, go. It's like, it's in Buckhead, go. And like, he just kept saying, go. And so like, you're the answer. Chris has since passed away. He actually passed away in 2021. And, uh, and I think that in Hebrews, um, in Hebrews 12, we are therefore surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, um, therefore run the race. I think somehow, some way, there are folks with the Lord that can kind of see what's happening. I'm not saying angels or like ghosts or like whatever. I'm not saying that. We'll get into that on Halloween. I'm talking about that on Halloween. Um, but I, I just wonder if Chris is cheering us on to run the race because he's seen the Lord face to face. And you are an answer to that pep. And so... In Malachi 1, 1 through 5, let's go back to the iPad. It says, the, uh, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, or an oracle, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And so God is saying, he's, he's gonna say to them three different things in this opening passage um, about how he has loved the people. And I think you're gonna see like, I mean, he says it pretty clearly, like I, I have loved you, I have loved Jacob, and then He's going to go on and he's going to get, well, I'll just show you in a minute in a slide these next, these three things that he says, but he undergirds three different ways that he sh he's shown them that he loves them. And they're like, how? And the reason that they're asking how, or the reason the Lord exposes that they're asking how is because God knows that if you truly believe that he loves you, everything will change. Do you realize that if, if the Jewish people would receive Jesus as Messiah and believe that God loves them so much that he sent his son, a Jewish Messiah, and he is their savior too, if they believe that, they could find it in their heart to believe that he also loves the Arabs. Do you realize that if the Arabs the ones that are, are Arab Muslims, if they would forsake Muhammad and they would come to Christ because they believe that God so loved the world that he sent his only son and they could humble themselves and come to Jesus and believe that God truly loves them as they are, that they would then be able to believe that God also loves the Jews you see, when you truly believe that God loves you, it genuinely changes everything. And so that's why, of all the things going on, that's why God exposes this in their heart. He exposes, don't you know that I have loved you? And I think in all of our hearts, he wants to expose, don't you know that I have loved you? Uh, and so the reason that he's bringing this up, this is the word, the final word before the word Jesus appears, um, is he wants them to know in their most unfaithful state that he still loves them. But what they have confused is that they, they, they have tried, they're trying to figure out, do I love uh, the fatherly part of God because he's like so kind, or do I love like the master part of God and I just serve him? And so they've got these two worlds that they're, they're going back and forth on. But the scripture reveals that God is both the loving father and he is the all-wise master. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just show you how this, how this plays out. If you believe simply that God can save you from hell, it will, it will affect some parts of your life, mainly your behavior. If you believe that God will send you to hell, unless you don't have Jesus, it, what the, the, practically the way it will work is that you will feel continually before the Lord like you need to get cleaned up before you can take a bath. You will always feel like you don't measure up. You're never good enough. You're never really received or accepted. But when you believe that God loves you just as you are, and the Israelites in Malachi were not there. They didn't believe that God loved them just like they were. When you believe that God loves you just like you are, you will pull up to the table in your fake Lulus 
that you got off of Amazon, your ratty tennis shoes, your ball cap, your no makeup, and you will sit there and you will smile and you will eat what is in front of you because somehow you'll know your family. And the Lord wanted them to fear him and revere him and serve him, but he wanted them to do that out of a heart of gratitude because they were loved and chosen. And that's, that's the heart behind this whole book. But what was happening when Malachi was written is they were just simply getting tired of getting cleaned up before they took the bath. Their religion had just gotten exhausting. Then comes Malachi, and he's addressing how their religion had gotten so sloppy. And I, I, I think what happened in the rest of the book, and we're going to see this over the next few weeks, what happens in the book is maybe like one of the first cases of deconstruction. They, they begin to, if you look at the rest of chapter one, they begin to offer like blind animals for sacrifices, lame animals for sacrifices, animals that had blemishes for sacrifices. The priests were saying things like, it's fine, at least you brought a sacrifice. Like they were saying, hey, we're still doing the thing. We're going on Tuesday nights. Like we're, we're going on Sunday. Like we're, we're still doing the thing. We just don't have like the fire we used to have. And it's such a big deal that the Lord sends a prophet to address them. And then after that, he is silent for 400 years. They, they are having a crisis of faith. They're going through doubts. But I think maybe we could call it, instead of deconstruction or crisis of faith or doubts, I think we could call it unmet expectations. God wasn't who they thought he would be. Worship, going to the temple, wasn't what they thought it would be. They, they had just gotten into this routine of, if it was modern day, like I go to Tuesday night, I go to my small group, I go to Sunday morning, I give some money. They had just gotten into this routine where it was just like, just, just pushing rocks up a hill. Just everything they did spiritually was exhausting. And when that happens, like, Netflix and the Braves and Amazon are way more exciting than God. And that's where they were, the whole group of people. But they were still doing the thing. They were still bringing their animals, and they were still going to the temple, and they were still sacrificing, and they were still, they could say, we did it, we did it, we did it. Look, God backs his word to them with, with three actions. He says to them, I've chosen you in verses one and two. He says, look, Jacob, I, I have loved, but Esau I have hated. I have chosen you. In Malachi 1.4, he says, I will walk with you. He says, Edom may say that we have been crushed. We will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says. They will build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. And, and so the Lord says, look, we're, I'm not walking with them. I'm walking with you. And the Lord says in Malachi 1.5 that he is going to redeem them. You will see with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. The Lord says, I've loved you. And they're like, how? Do you realize he doesn't say anything about their church attendance? He doesn't say anything about how many small groups they were in or about how awesome they were because they weren't. 
Their, filthy, their, their righteous works weren't very righteous, but they were still like filthy rags. He's not even talking about that. He's talking about his covenant to them. How good and strong and sure his covenant to them is. And I think, I mean, the, the Lord, he, he's, he's so strong when he makes a promise to us. He's like, he's like the U.S. dollar pre-1971 when it was backed by gold. Like now it's just backed by promises from the government. That's kind of funny. Um, and so like now that's what it's backed by. But pre-1971, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold. Every one of God's words we can see now in hindsight, is backed by his son being nailed to a cross and then rising from the dead, defeating death. Every one of his promises is backed by his own blood. And he says, look, this is how I've loved you. And I think the Lord promises the same three things to us today. This is how he loves us today. Uh, to Not just the the Jewish people, but to, to us, his children, the Lord loves his children. In, in Ephesians 1.4, it shows that the Lord has chosen us. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's the same thing. He chose them in Malachi 1. He chooses us, Ephesians 1.4. The Lord walked with them. The Lord walks with us, Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He walked with the the Israelites, not with the Edomites. He walks with his children, not with those who aren't his children. He does the same thing today. So if you want to know, like, does God love me? Am I a little, why am I a little bored? Why have I lost the pep in my step? You need to be reminded that the Lord has chosen you. And that's more important than your momentary excitement and happiness. That the Lord walks with you. But not only that, this is that saved, being saved, will be saved that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Not only that, the Lord will redeem us. If you want to read an exciting passage, read Revelation 19, 19, 7 says this, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. The marriage of the lamb has come. Y'all, this is not in my, in my notes, but you need, you, you, like, we need a wake-up call. Like, this is not the world. This is a little bubble. This is like a little Christian happy place. This is like, like maybe you might get a date. Like, you know, maybe your spouse is in there and they're thinking about you right now. That's not a good one. They need to think about the Lord right now. Uh, like, find somebody else. But like, maybe, like, like maybe they're here. Like, this is like a little Christian bubble. This is not the world. I was sent a video today from a friend of mine who is, lives in Israel, and I did not expect the video. And I was, I was sitting down, and I got this WhatsApp message, and I opened it up, and there's a man being murdered and then driven over by a car, and his back is being ripped off, and the whole thing is on the video. All right, so this like little cushion that we live in right now, and you're like, oh, woe is me. I don't feel God like I did last week. We need, like, we need to wake up. This is, we're not here for like our own enjoyment. We're not here to like learn one more verse about the Lord and go home and be like, oh, I can add to my knowledge another little, a little collection that I'm gonna keep to myself because my faith is so private anyway. We need to realize, like, the Lord is up to something big. And Revelation 19 is coming. 
And there will be a major war in the world and everybody will be wiped out who is left, who is not with the Lord. And it's not gonna be pretty. And you know what? The only the strong will survive. And by the strong, I mean the faithful. Like we need to be like, our, our, our faith needs to be like, like tuned up a little bit. This whole book, this whole book is a halftime speech and the team is losing going into the locker room. That's what this whole book is. It's the halftime speech of, hey, wake up. We're losing. And the coach believes in the team and he loves the team, would do anything for the team. And that's why he gives them this speech. I have no idea where I was in my notes. Here's what happened, I just skipped a page. Um, It's the beauty of when you write your own stuff. Take that, chat, GBT. So I, I, think, I think what's happening here is the people are too afraid to fully walk away from God. Like their faith has gotten so manila. Like they're too afraid to walk away from God because like, well, that's scary to like deny your faith and walk away from him. But they're too afraid to fully commit and so they live, they're living in this tension of like, I mean, I'll do like the, the Jewish thing. In our context, I'll do the Christian thing, but like it's not going to be my whole life because where's it gotten us anyway? That's, that's where they are. And uh, Matthew Henry had a great line in his commentary on this. He says, sinners ruin themselves by trying to baffle their convictions. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were ruining themselves by baffling their convictions. So this, this is like the locker room speech. And so I don't have this on the screen. What I want you to do is actually use your Bible here and go to the second half of the chapter or the, second, the, the next third, the second third, two thirds. That sounds like a weird bank name. Um, and so that was a joke. All right. Um, so verse six This is such a great verse. He says, a son, this is God speaking, a son. Remember, this is the halftime speech because they're they're so in the middle, too afraid to walk away, too afraid to fully commit. And the Lord says to them, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm the master, where is my fear? The Lord is calling them out. He's saying, look, I am a father to you and I am a master to you. And if you don't want your expectations to continually be topsy-turvy and unmet, you need to know I am the good, loving father who I have loved you. And I am also the all-wise master and you need to fear me. And that's the tension. They had lost that tension God had become too familiar with them. He's the son, and the, the, he, he's, he's calling for his sons to act like sons and believe that their father loves him, and he's calling for the servants to know he's the master and to serve him. He's the father and the master. God, he's, he's loving like a good father over us and like a master, and we are to rest in the fact that we're his beloved children and yet not get so comfortable in that that we forget to serve him, knowing that he is holy, 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 elevated to the highest tier. 
You realize he's, he's not a man like, like we are. Psalm 50 verse 21 says this, you, you give your mouth free reign for evil. Your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. Listen to this. This is the Lord talking. I have been silent. You thought I was one like you. But I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Look, don't get so familiar with God that you think you've got him on lock. Have you, you know, I've got this little side hustle where I'm like climbing trees and cutting them. Don't tell the IRS. But I'm like climbing trees and cutting them a little bit. And, uh, and it's been great. I have like the spurs and the rope and all this stuff. And it's like, it's awesome. It's very rad to be blue collar for a day a week. Um, and so like, like, blue, like some of you are blue collar every day, hats off. People think you're invisible. They say the craziest things while they're standing right next to you because like you clearly aren't as smart as them, I think they think. Um, it's like a weird world and it's awesome. And so anyway, that's like a soapbox. Can we strike that from the sermon? Talk back maybe, or from the message, maybe not. But anyway, so <clears throat> um, anyway, this, this, uh, this, I forget where, I totally forget where I was going with that. This is like, I'm so fired up about all this. Um, so where was I going with that? I'm like embarrassed. <laughs> okay. Side hustle. I was talking about a side hustle. I don't know why I was talking about that um, in the first place. I am embarrassed that I did that. But anyway, uh, oh, you, you don't want to get so comfortable that you forget the danger of who you're walking with. If I get up in that tree and I get so comfortable doing this thing that I forget the danger of the chainsaw, I'm a fool. It's so easy, though, to come here and sing songs and hear the word that you get so comfortable with the Lord, you forget that he is not one of us. And he's dangerous. We're only safe when we're in him in Christ. I'll tell you how, how frustrated the Lord got with them. Look at, look at Malachi 1.10. The Lord says to them, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Do you hear this? The Lord is so brokenhearted over their apathy they're too afraid to walk away and too afraid to fully commit. And he says, I just wish one of you had the guts to shut the doors of the temple and not let anybody in. Because your heart is far from me. And I, as I was preparing this, I, I hope better things from you. I believe better things from you. I believe a lot of you are not in this spot. You are full on for the Lord but your heart needs to break for those who are in this spot. We need to pray for them and challenge them. Malachi 1, 11 through 12, right after that, the Lord says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. 
As a minister of the gospel, I must hold the scriptures up high to you. I must proclaim to you a holy and righteous God that we have no business approaching without the blood of Jesus covering us. We can never be a place where it's fine. It's okay. The Lord doesn't really care. We have to be a place where the Lord is so high and lofty and exalted that we are amazed to find him stooping down to listen to us. We are amazed that he responds, this is how I've loved you. We're amazed when he calls us by a name that no one knows but him because he sees that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image and he loves his children. But the people, verse 13 is the most haunting The people say, what a weariness this is to serve you, God. And they snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. So over the next few weeks, we're going to see where this book takes us. Things like divorce, things like marriage, things like our money. The Lord is going to confront us on many issues that are all so relevant and so needed and I need them and you need them. I mean, I made a joke about the IRS. I need them. You need them. Like we all, we need this because we need for the slumber to be shaken off. But I do think tonight there is one specific word of application that I really believe is from the Holy Spirit that the Lord wants for us. And it's in the very first verse. And in my Bible, the ESV, it says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Do you you know what an oracle is? I think it's such a good word. Do you know what an oracle is? An oracle is a word to give you future direction. And I don't know where you get your oracles from. I would imagine you get some of them from um, from TV shows that you like, from books that you like, from movies that you like, um, from friends. Uh, I would imagine that you get them from all kinds of places. Taylor Swift got hers from uh, Marjorie. Um, she, you know, you know the song Marjorie. Uh, it's her grandmother, and she's quoting her grandmother: "Never too, cl- never be too clever to forget to be kind. Never be so kind you forget to be clever. Never be so polite you forget your power. Never wield such power you forget to be polite." And so Taylor Swift, some of her oracles have come from her grandmother. Those are words that have given her a future direction. Some of you, I'm on a a song kick apparently. Some of you, Zach Bryan, he's given you some oracles and I'd be cautious with those. Um, Although I think his music is is really good, but um, um, his style is great. But you know, he's got that poem, um, Fear and Fridays. And he says, and I think fear and Fridays got an awful lot in common. They're overdone and glorified and always leave you wanting. Yeah, I think fear and Fridays got an awful lot in common. They're overdone and glorified and always leave you wanting. And so it's real easy to like, hear Zach Bryan and be like, that's right, Fear and Fridays, you got it, brother, you nailed it. Or to be like, yeah, Marjorie, never wield such power, you forget to be polite, that's right. Like, you know, like you you get these oracles, you hear stuff from your dad, you quote it, you hear stuff from your grandmother, you quote it, you get these oracles that give you some direction for the future. But do you know, in this context, what it's talking about? 
See, the Greeks and the Romans for about 1,400 years would get oracles. And later, they would arrive at the temple of Delphi. And they would go to the, the temple of Apollo, I'm sorry, the temple of Apollo at Delphi. They would go there and they would, they would prepare themselves to get an oracle, a word of direction for the future. And they would, they would travel to get there. And when they finally got there, they would be interviewed by priests at the temple. What is it you want to know about? I want to know, should I marry her? I want to know, should I take this job? I want to know, should I divorce this person? I want to know, should I do this? Should I do that? They would, and the priest would interview them and they would say, the oracle doesn't want to see you or the oracle will see you. And the oracle, I think we have a picture of how this used to look. The, the oracle was then given your case and after waiting who knows how long, you would approach the oracle you would hear her answer as she sat elevated over some cracks in the ground that emitted ethylene, a gas that's similar to, to, to huffing paint or paint thinner, a gas that would make her high. And she would tell you, this is what you should do with your job. This is what you should do with your relationship. This is what you should do with your family. And then you would take her word and you would go and it would give you the direction for the future. And this whole book starts off the oracle of the word of the Lord to Malachi. This, this word this direction that God is trying to give to these people before he is silent for 400 years is to wake up. It's halftime and we're losing. And the people's response is what a weariness this is. So they began to look for other oracles, other words of direction. And we'll see that they had received some of those in their patterns of divorce, but it started first in their worship. When you start getting oracles, words of direction from anyone other than the Lord, the first place that's always corrupted is our worship. Think about your quiet times right now. Think about your, your focus. Think about your, your attention when it comes to the things of God. How many other things are clamoring for your attention? You probably have some other oracles in your life trying to give you words of direction. I fear this for some of you when you're on business trips, when you're, uh, when you're playing in different leagues with people, when you're out and about. I fear this for you that, that you are receiving other oracles that are taking you away from the Lord and affecting your worship, and soon they'll affect the rest of your life, guaranteed. In the New Testament, we have the answer to Malachi 1.13, and it's in 1 John 5.3, and it says this, for this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. I want to I want to end with this this illustration. When I was a, 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 I guess a sophomore or junior in college, went on a camping trip about this time of year. It was our fall break. I remember nothing about the camping trip. I was trying to think of it today. I was like, what happened on that camping trip? I can't remember anything. I can't even really remember all the guys that were there, but I do know that there was my friend William, William Lawful. Um, I wish William could hear this because he, he, I'm so grateful for William. I was reading the Bible through cover to cover because I thought as a Christian, that's what you should do. And I agree, you should. But I was reading it through, no reading plan, no nothing. And I was just trying to read like 20 minutes a day or so and get through it in a year. And so I, it was October and I was in Ezekiel. I was behind. And I was in, I was in Ezekiel and I was like, here we go. And I, I told William, I said, it is so boring I mean, so boring. And William, an engineer from Georgia Tech, a heck of an engineer, um, William, an incredible guy, said maybe the most succinct thing that he could say. He said, Thomas, God is not boring. You must be reading it wrong. And I realized I had these unmet expectations And I was reading it wrong. It was all about me the way I was reading it. These Israelites, their worship had become all about them. And honestly, we're not that exciting of a creature. Especially in light of the maker of the creature. They flipped the script and it it messed them up real bad because it became all about them. And so I want to just challenge you, remind you that the Lord has loved us with an everlasting love. And the offerings that they got away from doing were all these foreshadowings of the Messiah that was to come. Every perfect little male lamb that was to be brought to be sacrificed which is a terrible thing, was all a foreshadowing of the perfect male that was to be brought and sacrificed for our sins for all time. He's the lion of Judah, the lamb of God, the spirit of truth, the foundation of love. He's the only begotten. He's the one who defeated sin. He destroyed death. He's got the keys of life and death. In him, he holds all things together. He has unlocked the doors. He has opened the blinds, and he has invited all of us to come and eat. And folks, that's never boring. We must be reading it wrong. It's probably us and not him. So let's pray together. Lord, may you look across this room and see that you have honor and see that you have fear because we know that we are loved. We are loved by the Father who is the good master. Lord, who else goes to the cross and scorns the shame and invites us into eternal life just as we are and not as we should be? 
Jesus, you love us with an everlasting love. And if there is a problem, the problem is with us. And so would you do surgery on our hearts, get the pep back in our step. May we desire to know you and love you and be loved by you and fear you and follow you. Would you shake the dust from our hearts? It's in Jesus' name I pray, Father.